today's episode, we speak to Michael Howard of the Photo App, a new social media that is designed specifically for photographers. We talk about why the new social media is needed. We talk about challenging the social media norms. We talk about the type of content he's going to have on the platform and how he's going to deal with slightly kind of tetchy subjects. And we talk about social media in general. It's a super interesting chat. Michael's really generous with the time. So grab a drink, open your retouch software, but let's get to it. <sighs> it's been... That kind of day. <laughs> I will say we are both on tenterhooks, wondering whether this is going to be a longer than 24 second record. We've been trying to do this now for what, 20 minutes and all the gremlins in all the systems are just not going in our favor. Mainly Greg's system. There's a lot of gremlins in my system. Right <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, you've obviously fed them after midnight. I have so, had a day, mate. I have had a day. Oh, different camera. Yeah, I'm in low D today. <laughs> low D? Low death. So, so hang on. So you've got four new kittens. Mm, four new kittens from a cat that is not barely old enough to be having kittens. So that was, that was you know, a nice surprise. Right. Yes, that is a, <laughs> that's a bit of a shock to the system, right? So now I have two kids and six cats. How, oh how 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 has this happened? My God, <laughs> what's happened to my life? Yeah. <laughs> uh, did I when we started this podcast? Did did any of us, either of us, have kids or cats? Oh man, yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. I've always there's always been cats loitering. But I, I mean, do remember when you inherited them. You, You'll have to excuse me drinking on the podcast. But I, I, the kind of... I will quickly say it is only eight o'clock in the morning, and we don't we don't advocate <laughs> it. <laughs> oh man! But yeah, but, but but things other than that, things are good. Yeah, stuff um, seems to be a bit busier than it was. Good. I, I'm not holding out any hope for that staying though. It's been a funny old year, um, it has, but it? but yeah, been back in the saddle doing a few little interesting jobs here and there um been i mean i'm just i'm just wrung out i'm just tired with 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 general life stuff rather than added work on top but yeah you know i guess that happens. is a that is a funny thing though because i guess also kind of covid before covid do you remember we used to just be able to go for like days and days and days and we would just be so used to working so hard I'm sure this is the same for a lot of people, but COVID basically almost reset our bodies to mm. long days now feel really long. Like Maybe, I'll get to, yeah. I'll get to the end of a long day and I'll be like, gee, like I'm knackered. Mm. I think that's also just having children, but and and, and getting older. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, probably those two a bit things. of both. Basically. Yeah. Um, it's good, it's good yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> No, I had um, yeah, I've been had had some interesting little assignments recently, and just been kind of one thing I noticed. I did, I've, I've done. Did you ever get this when you've you've been not super busy, and then you start to get a few jobs in, and you're you're a little bit rusty, and you get on a you get on a shoot, and you find yourself overshooting because oh, I'm a chronic overshooter anyway. Are you okay? That yeah. makes you feel better. Yeah, I know. I, I, so I kind of, I've started shooting. I will talk about my new process in a minute, but like I've started shooting some personal projects because I, I don't really get rusty because I will just go and just shoot random stuff. 
I was mm. basically just, I have been rusty in the past, but I've realized it's good for me skills wise, but also really great for mental health to just set up personal shoots and just go mm. and just re- it's really important. I've found that they're super important for me to go and do. So this week we're on Tuesday. I've shot two or three in the past seven days wow. and I'm just like, right. And I've got, I've got another three booked in this month in the next three, um, next four weeks. And then yeah. I'm going out to do another thing. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just like hell bent on just getting so much new stuff done, but it means that I don't ever really, I might not necessarily be doing the biggest jobs, but I'm still kind of flexing the muscles mm. um, a little bit. So why, why do you end up overshooting then? Honestly, because I'm trying to make sure this doesn't kind of sound like egotistical or big headed. I think because I'm so quick, being able to move around and set things up so quickly i'm mm. like oh that looks good oh that setup would be great oh quickly while you're here can i just do that and so i'll end up shooting you know for example yesterday i shot with a guy called clive i had intended to get two setups mm. we ended up shooting four studio setups and seven location setups Mm. And I was like, well, I only actually really wanted two. So I was hoping for like to go through and make selects from like 60 images. And I ended up having to make selects from 360. So I just, I don't know if it's necessarily because I overshoot, but I think it's because I overshoot in what I'm able to do. And because I love shooting so much, I'm just like, when I'm on my set, I'm just like, oh yeah, quickly, let's just do this. Oh, quickly. I'll just spin the light. I was like that. Um, mm. and I'm not precious really in a way. So I'll just shoot and shoot and shoot until I think everyone gets a bit annoyed. <laughs> and then, then I have to can it because I'm having a lovely time. <laughs> I'm like, mate, you can just stand over there and just look tough for like another few hours. <laughs> and he's like, no, yeah. no, we're all right. But how many, guess- like, actually, this is like an interesting chat. Like, how much would you shoot on a portrait? shoot for like an editorial well i tend not to overshoot those kind of things because there's a balance between kind of talking to the subject and then shooting and then relighting and sure whatever i i'm talking about overshooting on um i had a travel job recently and it's much more kind of documentary so you you end up in situations where you don't know how they're going to evolve and mm-hmm. obviously you're not necessarily setting them up because that's not what you're after you don't want something contrived you're kind of waiting for something to happen sure. sometimes you don't know what that thing is and you're kind of trying to shoot especially if you're shooting kind of wide shooting like 28 or something like that and you've got multiple elements in the frame and you're trying to kind of get some kind of alex webb-esque moment of of you know like the decisive moment where everything comes together mm-hmm. you can you can end up searching for that moment for for far more shots with digital than you could with film and i do wonder with film like you quite often it's almost easier to look at contact sheets and be like that's the picture that's the photo and there's you know if you're shooting medium format there might be 12 frames Mm, but because you've shot less it's easier to 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 know exactly which one is it's almost like the What's the word for it? But like the the scarcity adds value. I think yeah, digital, course, it, it's it's so easy to get kind of multiple frames that are so similar, and it's quite often happens on you know jobs with clients where it's kind of 
tiny, tiny differences that are going to be imperceptible to most people. Mm-hmm. But people end up becoming fixated on it because you can get it perfectly right. But quite often I see it where it kind of gets taken to the nth degree where you've taken an image. And and, and I do wonder, I was thinking about this the other day with all the kind of new um, AI in Photoshop, how much stuff will be kind of perfected and perfected and perfected in inverted commas because it can be. Mm-hmm. But actually you end up with an end product which just feels wrong, like contrived and not natural or not just almost too many cooks kind of thing and i think i don't know it's, it's it's interesting i think when you're kind of taking it back to doing documentary or street photography and if you're shooting on film it's kind of there's a, a the, there's a literally a, a, a finite amount of moments that you can capture and there's only so much that you can really do with that so it's kind of i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say but i think it's it's interesting you know the whole idea for me, it goes back to the whole idea of taking photos versus making photos as well. Like mm-hmm. I think what you're talking about when you're kind of doing port, you know, portrait sessions or or your personal projects, you're making pictures. And quite often when you're doing documentary work, you're taking the pictures. Sure. You're actually trying to find them. You're not necessarily contriving them or creating them. And I think I think that was actually always my sort of one of my weakest parts of being a photographer is that I haven't really got the patience to wait for stuff, which is why mm. portraiture kind of ticks so many boxes for me. Cause I'd be like, right. Okay, great. This is what I want to do. And now I want to move over and do this. Now I want to go and do that. Whereas, you know, waiting for the perfect moment. And then I think also the frustration, if I'd missed it, mm. you know, you kind of go, Oh, that would have been brilliant. And like, it's that whole, like that could have been, or that, you know, that should have been, I would really struggle with, with dealing with it. I mean, have you, yeah been waiting for those moments have you missed shots that you kind of wish that you'd just be like oh damn that would have been of course the one but it's like fishing you know that's that's for me part of the appeal of that kind of photography is the fact that it's so elusive mm-hmm. and so that when you get a shot that genuinely comes together and was is a real moment um there's no one else in the world that will have that because for that split second of that part of that day, you were in the right place at the right time to get it. And Mm -hmm. no matter what anyone else does, they're not going to be able to recreate that in that same way. I think for me, portrait photography, you know, sometimes portrait photography is a bit different, but like say doing studio photography or lit photography, there's a lot more kind of tips and tricks that go into it with the lighting side of things as well as obviously then being able to have a rapport with with the person so you kind of mm-hmm. got this balance of using these tips and tricks and then having a rapport with the person now the rapport with the person comes down to the individual photographer and your connection and connectivity as to whether or not you can get an emotional interestingly emotional picture out of somebody sure anyone can learn the tips and the, tr- the tips and the tricks though and what you quite often see is stuff that f- lacks the the emotional stuff but has kind of very nifty lighting or something Mm. but it kind of doesn't have the depth so it's kind of i find for me there's if i kind of strip all that back and don't do you know focus on on the, the travel or the documentary or street photography for me i've got a lot more kind of that excites me a lot more in the sense that it feels like you're capturing something in a bottle quite literally that is far more elusive 
perhaps than something where you're going in and you're you're setting up but obviously the the thing is you know with commercial work the majority of it is the latter you have to be able to go in you have to be able to have those tips and the tricks and you have to be able to create the magic potion mm-hmm. and um and that's a, a skill that you learn and it's mm. exciting but it never quite scratches the same itch for me personally as when i'm getting that kind of stuff and you get a picture that literally was a little moment in time that you happen to be in the right place at the right time for. I think, so I, I was speaking actually weirdly about this with a friend of mine, James, uh, who's a very, very talented photographer. We were talking about at what point does a, what what point does a photograph suddenly, you want to kind of really show the moment. You really want to show what the, the mood is, the atmosphere. You don't want it to be a technical like exercise in what a photographer can do. You know, that, 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 doesn't it kind of lands and it feels a bit hollow you Mm. know it's like oh look here's an amazing technical exercise of what i can do but then the 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 photograph the subject might look uncomfortable or it doesn't make any sense and actually then at that point it really doesn't land Mm. so yeah it's 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 really interesting especially kind of how it collides with portraiture because i see a lot of stuff on social media which is look how good I am with a camera, look how good I am at lighting. Whereas then the, the subject looks super awkward or there's just nothing to the photograph and you kind of go, well, that's real throwaway stuff. No Mm. matter how good you are technically, there's nothing really there for the viewer. What, Mm. unless they're a photographer who is like, Oh, how did you do that? How did you do this? There's not really anything for anyone else to be like, oh, that's a really moving portrait or that, you know, I remember looking at that portrait and just being struck by it. You know, that rarely happens if you're just trying to show off your technical ability. We should all be technically good enough to be able to do that. Mm. It's really what, I guess, what you're trying to show, what you're trying to say with the portrait that I guess is the... Quite often, though, I do see photographers who are incredibly talented at capturing really beautiful, genuine moments and photos of the motion and actually technically they're you know they're not there but Mm -hmm. actually that helps because it limits what they can do to what they're good at so it's almost like turning up to a shoot with i i've i found this in the past personally if i've turned up with too much kit it almost gives me too many options Mm -hmm. and you could get bogged down in trying to get like a technically really proficient looking picture but something that actually guilty (laughs) (laughs) but actually if you if you pair back and you say you know what i'm going to limit myself to just taking a a 15 or 35 and working with available light then that forces you to think creatively but of course we very very rarely do that on jobs because you don't want to be taking that risk this is where editorial comes in though this is where editorials if you're working for certain editorial clients you know, and the shoot that I just did was I had a such a lovely brief that was literally like, just go and, and, and shoot it how you want to shoot it. We've already got a, another story in the magazine that month that's going to be quite, you know, standard travel story. Just love to see what you make of it. Off you go. And it is kind of quite liberating. But, it's, but, but that's only you're only really going to get that in the editorial world. And there is obviously a little bit of a a, a dip in editorial at the moment and and um you know magazines aren't are, are are struggling and it does you do wonder whether or not there's going to be some other outlet 
you know, and maybe it is social media, if we want to lead into this week's discussion, where actually mm-hmm. you can go out and experiment and you can take those pictures which aren't necessarily, uh, you know, to the brief of what the client wants. And for me to be able to go out with editorial jobs and shoot them the way I want to shoot them without too much oversight is when I'm going to produce the most interesting work with the most amount of my voice in it. Right. And I think social media is another, it's, it, it's, it, it promised to potentially provide that. But where it's failed is people now see things like Instagram, especially not so much TikTok, but as a place where they have to just put out effectively a version of their portfolio that's going to jump through a hoop rather Mm -hmm. than actually putting out. I mean, people do do it, but majority of photographers tend to use it as a portfolio rather than as something that's saying, actually, this is maybe hit or miss. You might, this is a bit Marmite. You might not like this, but I'm going to put it out there because I shot it and I like it. And yeah. for me, I would like to get back to that, to get back to a place where social media was exciting because people were putting stuff out there that was a bit more experimental and was a bit kind of more groundbreaking in the sense that they were going and just doing what they wanted to do rather than what they mm-hmm. think people want them to do. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. I mean, that's what I want to do with mine as well. I actually want to take mine weirdly almost back to like a portfolio mixed with a diary. When I first started using Instagram, I was like, I think my first picture, Chris, I'll never forgive you for bringing me onto Instagram. But like my, uh, I was sat next to a journalist friend of mine uh, called Chris and we, we were on a plane back from doing a job in Ibiza and uh, we were just, it was a picture of my feet. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, I've resisted joining Instagram. Here's a picture of my feet. But actually, sod it. Actually, what does it matter? You know, the, the algorithm has killed. Were you showing so- off the leg room? Is that what it was? I, I, I think I actually was. I was in the bulkhead seat. I remember it very well because it's very rare that I get to see on a bulk seat on a bulkhead. But I um I, I remember just being like, oh, I love this. Just like, oh, I like that. I'll just put it up. And actually, mm. now I've just I've kind of gone back to this point where I'm going to start as as of kind of in a few days. So hopefully by the time this comes out, people will be able to look up and just see what I've had for dinner. But like, I'm just going to start putting just random stuff up. Like I'm going to do like a walkthrough of my new bags and stuff. Um, and like just little, little things like talking about, you know, I've I've just been interviewed by Canon for the, uh, talking about the R5C and I think Mm. it's such an important camera. And actually, why not? I just do a little thing about that. I don't care who watches it. I mean, the thing is, it's actually, I kind of want to talk about it. I think it's a great camera. Um, and it's just, you know, I feel that I've been, not that I've been, I feel that I have myself pigeonholed myself into only showing my work on that so using instagram as an extension of the website well actually that kind of is a bit boring to people they want to go and see the website yep the website's updated as much as instagram so go and look at the website so kind of putting up random stuff and behind the scenes and just like stuff that i enjoy i think actually might then help my voice come through a bit more yeah i think ultimately people need to be finding out about the human behind it all and especially now with ai coming in and being able to produce the technically perfect images that we've just talked about how do you differentiate yourself from something that can be done by a machine without that machine knowing anything about photography or having visited the places it's showing? You know, what people are going to be looking for, I think, I hope, is actually some sense of personality that goes behind it and a voice that goes with that. Yeah. I think for me, my unique selling point is probably going to be my awful humour. 
I think that I think that'll go down really well. <laughs> well, this podcast has been a great platform for that. So it has, yeah. I had a message today earlier saying, "Don't do any more podcasts." <laughs> no, I didn't. That was not, that's not true. Um, Sam, if you're listening, I don't appreciate the abuse. Um, the you know, it's it's a funny one though, isn't it? Because you're right. Because AI and the, and the race to it is to create all these technically perfect. Almost, the, the, obviously, a lot of the stuff at the minute looks very dreamlike and, and things like that. But for me, you know, one of my favorite things is in a load of my old photography books, uh, there was obviously a fashion for doing it. But you open some of the pages and they have got like a double page spread of the contacts with the red marker around mm. it. And that for me, going back to the contact thing you were talking about earlier, that for me is such a special thing because that yeah. shoot could be those two films, right? Yeah. And so the and the scarcity talking about that again, you know, it, it's just really special. And none of them are maybe perfect, and they've all got like you know darkroom notes on it and stuff like that. And I, I love all of that sort of stuff. And I think maybe yeah, maybe I mean the trouble is doing myself out of a, a job here because a lot my work has been erring towards the more technical because that's just how my brain is wired. Mm. Um, but yeah, I. I don't know quite where I was going with it. It's obviously very late, and we're both exhausted. But I, um... I was, I was again attempting to show you my uh, a scrapbook that I keep in the drawer down there, which I haven't updated in probably about four years. But can't get the drawer open, so I'm sorry for that. I'm not going to get to see it. <laughs> is that why you've not? Is that why you've not updated it? Is because you've locked, you've locked the cover. Yeah, I can't get the bloody door open. Trying um, to trying to cut cut down on your jobs. I won't have um, to update that if I've locked it away. <laughs> but there is something lovely about the tactility of, of things like that, of having of keeping a scrapbook. Um and it's definitely something I'd like to go back to. And that's actually something we we kind of discussed with this week's guest, actually, is is the idea of what social media could become in a kind of ideal world. And mm-hmm. Michael, we're uh, we, you know, we're very glad for him to come on and, and talk to us about this app that he's developing. Um and obviously we hope that you find this uh, this episode interesting, and uh, there's there's stuff in here for for people who are excited. Well, as excited as I am personally, I know Tom is quite excited about it too. Potentially, of what it could gonna be. Gonna get my at. Gonna get my at Tom address. So I'm pumped for that. Yeah, you get to be the new MySpace Tom. Hey, I mean, listen. I mean, that guy sold his network for a pretty penny. I'd be all right with that. <laughs> By the way, do you do you know that I, you know that MySpace Tom's a really talented landscape photographer? Yeah, you you mentioned maybe this we in should the episode. maybe we should maybe we should get him on. In fact, if you want to see a link to this, folks, uh, it's in the show notes. Actually, you can go see what MySpace Tom's been up to. There we go. Anyway. I reckon we should get him on. I need to thank him personally for everything MySpace did for me in the early days of my career. <laughs> From one MySpace Tom to another. Um, exactly. Exactly. Shall we get into it? This is this week's episode with Michael Howard. Enjoy, people. This week on the show, we are delighted to be joined by uh, Michael Howard. Uh, Michael is the founder of Musea and Photo App, which is what we're going to be talking to him today about. He's a former um, professional working photographer, um, which we will get into as to, to when he left that and why he left that. And he's joining us today from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, we're really excited for you to be here, Michael, to talk to us about your latest project and venture, which... I have to say, both me and Tom have been following with a keen interest and a little <laughs> bit of kind of kids at Christmas levels of excitement. Um, <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah, thanks for yeah, having just to, me. Just I'm to excited give, to be here. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
just to give our audience a little bit of kind of background on yourself first, kind of um, what's your journey been? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Missouri, um, went to college, found photography then. So uh, graduated with a BFA in photography around 2002. We moved to Nashville early 2004 and photographed weddings. Uh, I did, when we moved to Nashville, I assisted for like six months or eight months with on a lot mm -hmm. of um, big uh, kind of commercial shoots with musicians and things uh, with some of the main photographers here in town at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, got to assist, do all the film, it's still film back then, all that. Um, and then end up pushing into weddings. And the goal was eventually for me to do more like commercial um, kind of music editorial work is what I kind of wanted to do. And uh, never really, we ended up having kids and it, it just never really pushed into that all the way, um, dabbled in it here and there, uh, mostly did a lot of weddings and things. And then, um, just started, to, started to kind of burn out around 2010, 2011. Cause I knew weddings wasn't like my long-term goal for my life. I didn't, I, you know, I always saw myself as more of a, trying to be more of a higher end commercial shooter photographer and, mm -hmm. You know, just wasn't really necessarily in the cards, which is fine. And started Musea in 2012, and that's been a whole journey. Uh, still, still going great. So it's it's now a fine art print lab, mm -hmm. and so we started out of my house, and then we have a 4,000 square foot facility now. And yeah, we do printing, matting, framing. Um, shot my last like commercial job was in 2016 as a photographer. Mm -hmm. last kind of paying job. So I exited, uh, music, kind of took over my life at, at that point. And, um, we've been kicking around an idea of a photo app, a new photography sharing platform, probably since 2018 mm -hmm. and started to dabble in it more in 2021, a little more seriously. And then, and then last year decided to officially like decide to do it. So, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is photo app that we're, you know, we're mm -hmm. going to be talking about now that's a photo with an F. Um, and obviously we'll give out kind of where people can find you, but just very quickly, I mean, how I discovered you is on Twitter actually okay. where you are the photo app. Um, mm -hmm. now what, what is it that kind of made you want to bring out another photography app? Cause there are plenty out there. Um, mm -hmm. to, uh, it's a mixed bag, let's be honest, um, <laughs> of what is out there, but, but a lot of photographers probably remember things like hipstamatic and then yep. obviously, uh, VSCO and then, you know, Instagram, these are all kind of obviously Instagram being one of the biggest now Instagram started as a photo app in many ways, you know, it was, it was a bit like hipstamatic, wasn't it? You could put filters mm -hmm. on and people tended to use the Instagram filters and then post. And it's and it's morphed. It's morphed into a behemoth, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I love I love that word. I'm glad I got it in. Um, <laughs> is that what your experience has been, or what's your what what brought you to a point where you decided that you wanted to make something and you thought you could do it better than what's already out there? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a little. Um, 
I don't know if audacious is the word. I mean, for me to even attempt this feels a little crazy at, at times. Um, but you know, <laughs> you, you only live once, so you might as well shoot for the moon. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've never really been happy with Instagram. I, I haven't really been happy with a lot of them for various reasons. Um, sure. Instagram, I've always felt has been, even in the early days, when people really loved it, I never really liked it that much. Um, but, you know, it worked well enough. But it was mostly very, uh, Instagram, I felt early on was always a t culture of kind of celebrating the temp like a temporary nature of photography. It was always about like what's happening like right now or today. And mm -hmm. a lot of what makes photography great is how the longevity of it. Um, mm. and uh, you know, that I think photographs should still have feel, have a bit of an evergreen feel should have a, an archive. There should be a historic nature to them. You should be able to go back and revisit things. And mm -hmm. it's none, none of these are really built for that. It's all, um, what are you doing right this second? Well, I mean, and then stories like is nobody cares example. like yeah. two days later. Yeah. 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 Literally deletes mm -hmm. itself. So, um, so there's always been that undercurrent. Um, and then on top of that, uh, you get into just how the incentives on these platforms are built, specifically more Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and Snapchat and all this stuff, which is, it's, you know, it's ad driven, which is basically attention based. Um, mm -hmm. So everything is just built towards what can we, how can we maximize your attention and keep you scrolling and on the platform? Sure. None of, there's just, we can get into that if you want. There's just a lot of problems with that, but the incentive structures are not very good for something that's a little more intentional, a little slower, a little more thoughtful, uh, which when I fell in love with photography, that's part of the reason I fell in love with it. Learning in the dark room, there's always a slower nature, something more meditative about it. Um, you know, photography in general, I feel like kind of encourages you to slow down and consider a moment why this person took this and think through it. And now everything's just the shortest attention span. It just keeps dropping every year. It's like, you know, we're, I think our attention span is less shorter than a goldfish right now or something. It's really bad. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. So places like Visco, like it's great. They're, they're starting to push into social more, which they've been avoiding, which is interesting. So we'll see where that goes with them. Um, but Visco, like, Instagram started with the filters, like you're saying, and I always thought that was very superficial. Um, and I thought the filters were pretty horrible. They still are not great, but um, Visco is kind of like the cool version, like the hipster version where like their filters actually look better. Um, mm -hmm. But it still kind of felt like the cool kids, like youth, the, tw the early twenties kind of playground. And it was still about like the looks and the vibe and the feel, but it wasn't really about like, thoughtful photography it was just more about mm -hmm. the lifestyle i felt like so um and i think a lot of people have tried to build other apps but they've been either too generic or too for the just professional people only mm -hmm. so it's a fine line between what we're going to try to do which is um obviously we're going to start probably with the professionals or the serious amateurs or the hobbyists that really love photography but eventually we would, we would like, you know, anybody and everybody to be on it and enjoy it. Um, and hopefully have a better, healthier experience on, on a social platform online. 
Yeah, because I, th- I think that's all really interesting because you do have, you know, you, you say on the, on the website you've got the goals, right? And how, how stringent do you think you might be, or how, how stringently do you think you might be able to keep to those goals? Because I think as, as, a, as a platform grows, you're going to get pushed and pulled by the audience to produce different things. You might kind of find the demand for people wanting to share stories come up and, and then it kind of takes away slightly from the goal of having that longevity if you then in, in kind of introduce these features that people are requesting mm-hmm. how do you feel that you kind of might kind of react to stuff like that yeah i think i think that's where you know me running musea for the last decade has taught me a lot i've, I've failed a lot made a ton of mistakes um but one thing it's definitely taught me is, you know, you definitely need to listen to your audience and your users, but there's always a filter that you run through is like the owner um, mm-hmm. of, you know, you need to ha- still have your vision. I think I brought this in even with photography and when you're working with your clients, to a certain degree, you still have to kind of fight for what your ultimate vision is because not everybody can see where you want to take it three, four, five, ten 10 years down the road. Um, a lot of times you get requests for things that are more of a short term mindset of something that mm-hmm. I want, you know, it's a, it's some maybe small pain they're feeling and they want it fixed like right now. Um, but you know, you definitely listen and, but you definitely have to weigh. um, does that make sense for like our culture, what we're trying to build long term? Um, are we going to maybe fix that? later with this other idea that we have. And so the timing isn't right or it's a waste Mm -hmm. of resources. It's inefficient. So, um, I'm always a very open, transparent person. I always want feedback and I want to listen to it. It doesn't mean I'm going to, um, always follow it. You you pick and choose, uh, what makes sense and really try to dig under the motivation of why people want something. Usually when they want something, it's usually like, three layers deep is the thing they really, really want. And you really need Mm -hmm. to like dig into deep down into that. And that's where the solution is. It's usually not that first suggestion. It's something else farther down. And people even have hard times communicating that even, you know, if you ask them like, well, why do you want this? Well, then why do you want that? Well, you know, why do you want that? And you just keep asking why to get down into there. And sometimes they have a hard time communicating it. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, because I've been, been asked before, like, do you envision photo being like, how big do you envision it being? How large do you want to take it? And I'm not, I'm not sure yet, honestly. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll kind of see how it goes. I, th- I think once we launch it publicly, it's it's the hard thing is it's probably going to take us for a ride. <laughs> so we're going to have to, pro- <laughs> you know. Uh, to a certain degree, yeah. we're going to be trying to, for us to hang on to it and um, mm. shape it as much as we can. But it's creating something that's user-generated content. It, it can be, it's the wild, wild west, you know. People are going to start yeah. uploading stuff that it gets crazy. So I've realized we probably should take a little bit of a step back and actually explain to some of the listeners who who obviously we, we, we all know what you're talking about in terms of we've seen the the kind of the mock-ups that you've been putting up and, and of what it can mm-hmm. look like. I guess if I were to explain it, and I, I mean, stop me if I'm wrong, but it feels the reason I'm excited personally 
it feels like the app is going to be something that, you know, you would have got 10, 10, 15 years ago when kind of you were, people were blogging more regularly. And the Mm -hmm. idea that when you actually posted a blog, you had time and effort into not only the picture, but also the words that go with it, the caption, and also maybe the way that you lay it out. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately you end up with something that tells a story. Right. And from what I've seen, photo looks like it is trying to emulate that to some degree, but in a platform that people use on their phone. Right. Um, I don't know what your plans are for the desktop version, because one of my issues with Instagram is the fact that it is in very it is very constrained. And I mean that is a strength and a weakness. But ultimately yeah. the fact that it's very constrained means the user experience on a desktop is pretty pants. And if I am really absorbing photography, I want the option to be able to see it in a well-presented place on a desktop version of the app um, where it, you know, really is shown large potentially. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what is your kind of uh, approach to this? Is, is it the fact that you're feeling that Instagram fails because it is this momentary image? How are you, going to take what you said which is about kind of treating images with respect and that kind of archival sense of you know timelessness that pictures have how's that fundamentally going to look in app form like what features are you hoping to bring to this app to really kind of make it appealing to photographers that are excited by that side of things yeah well uh yeah we want to do a lot of things so uh you touched on touched on a few things so I'll, i'll try to remember the sequence there if i miss something just um, remind me. So, uh, one, one, I think desktop is, is going to be crucial. Uh, so I definitely see us making redesigning and making, um, the desktop experience very, very crucial and important. Um, Mm -hmm. we are starting with the phone app because we feel like that's the easiest thing to grow and spread, uh, because that's where people spend most of their time versus doing the desktop, which will be a much slower intentional experience. I think ultimately, you know, five, however many years, hopefully shorter. But when we have a very mature desktop experience, that'll be where people will have the ideal experience of photo. Cause then you can really see the pictures, how they're meant to be seen where, mm-hmm. um, phone is convenient and easy, but ultimately if you really want to see the details and a large, large images, you need to be on a desktop or a laptop or something. Um, I, I equate it to a little of like what, Substack has done with the desktop. They started desktop and then went to the app. We're kind of reversing it. We're going the other way. But mm-hmm. um, I think because we're going to encourage more long form content with text writing, that you know we'll have to have the a desktop app, a desktop experience really well done because people are going to want to type on their computers ultimately if they really get into writing. Mm-hmm. Um, Photography and writing has always been a really great marriage. And so we, you know, writing on your phone is horrible. So um, eventually, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely come out with a, um, a desktop version. Longevity. So one of the, the, the drive, probably driving unit for that is going to be uh, a couple of things. One is we're going to try to really embrace like the metadata of images and really respect that. Mm-hmm. and use that in a lot of creative ways right now most social sites strip all of it off like instagram search is absolutely horrible um 
you know, if you're going to search for images, usually go to like Google images. But even that is, has its own problems of returning results that aren't necessarily accurate or they're biased mm-hmm. or racist or things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so one, we're trying to build from the ground up, which we're working through like like this week, you know, as I speak, is being able to make sure we capture the metadata. Um, not that we're going to use it right away, but at least that it's there so that we can eventually on top of that build better search functionality so you can actually find images um, accurately. So if you're searching for something specific, you can actually find images on that specific thing you're searching for. Whether or if you go to Instagram or a lens or a yeah, camera system. Right. Or- yeah. Yeah. If you want to find, yeah, literally anything. Like if you're searching for, if you're a bride and you're want to search this different locations that you're looking for to possibly get married and you want to go through, uh, if, if you're really into old vintage cars or something and you want to see some sort of old car from the sixties, you want to find different versions. If you're planning a trip and you want to see the locations or, uh, you know, whatever. Um, Mm. there's a lot of benefit, but I think a lot of benefit to that, that we have not really unlocked yet. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's why I feel like it's important to put quality, you know, if you're posting quality, words and quality images that's you know has the metadata associated with it and it's accurate um instead of hashtags which are not necessarily accurate then people can find stuff years later that you've put online uh, Mm -hmm. versus it just being you know gone so i always find this interesting like if when somebody always um you know like recently tina turner passed away right Anytime somebody passes away, you start seeing all these old images being reshared. Mm-hmm. And I always think like, oh, it'd be cool if you could just go in and search, you know, and it, and it kind of works because, you know, everybody's hashtagging like somebody like that. And so you see different images. But if you could have a true archive um, to look through. Um, and then on top of that, we want to really, hopefully, we, we need to really invent and work for the photographer and work for the users and try to build economic structures on top of once they can, people can find these images. If companies want to license these images for use or use it to share it in a story that they're doing or something like that, then the photographer can be compensated. So, mm-hmm. you know, we want to build in new economic models, allow images to be found easily, but then also build structures that allow the artist to be compensated for the work because they should be, because the images have value and people want to right. reshare them or whatever. So, you know, we have a lot, lot obviously to work through and a lot of problems to solve, but that's kind of an overview of why, you know, we want to think or just build stuff that's more longevity. Being on the content hamster wheel, if you will, is not a fun experience for anybody. It's exhausting and it wears people out. It's just not good for people. That's why YouTubers that are making millions of dollars, they end up quitting and burning out. Like it's just, they have mental breaks because they have to keep mm-hmm. posting, posting, and posting, and posting, um, which just Speaking goes back to the ad. Yeah, it goes, it goes back to the ad model, which is the attention stuff. It, it all starts there, which is why we're trying to build photo without any ads. Because it, when you start ads, it snowballs, at least specifically with social media, it snowballs into these really unhealthy things. And we want to try to avoid that if we can. I think what's really interesting about that is... Um, 
you know, talking about burnout and things like that, and then the constant need and everyone telling you you need to post out ideas, that does kind of ra- kind of create a bit of a race to the bottom of mm. putting out stuff that is either rehashed versions of what we've seen a million times before or just poor quality rush stuff. I think the thing that I really love about the photo app is the mock-up you have on the website that runs through and shows how the app's going to work. It's, it's really beautiful. And the layout is really nice. And everything looks really curated. I actually, for the first time in a long time, look at that as a so bit of social media that I could actually get on board and enjoy doing. I, I've... I mean, I've touched on this so many times in the in the in the previous kind of episodes of the podcast. I'm so bored of social media, and I'm so fatigued by the constant pressure to constantly put up stuff and constantly show the best life and everything like that. Well, actually, if we're all being really honest, I I really just want to show my my work. That's the stuff I'm most proud of. Um, and so, you know, the photo app, the the layout, and everything it looks really nice. My my big question. And it, again, it comes down, I guess, to a bit of pressure. Um, is algorithms? Mm-hmm. Are you going to have a sequential feed that organizes everything by date order, or is it going to be algorithmic? I don't know if that's the right term. Is it is it going to have an algorithm that says, "Oh, Tom really likes pictures of windy rivers, so we're going right. to prioritize pictures <laughs> of windy rivers for him." Or or, yeah. or is it going to be like Tom actually follows someone who posts pictures of windy rivers, but there's also someone who posted a picture of a canyon before, so he'll see the picture of the canyon and then, you know, do you, do you, that was a terribly phrased question, but you understand what I yeah. what I mean, right? Gotcha. Yep. Totally understand. Yeah. So we uh, were having kind of a discussion last night with uh, my co-founder, and so we're going to start with a very s- simple and transparent algorithm and that is chronological um so it's purely chronological so you know just just having a chronological feed is technically an algorithm but most people when they think algorithm they're they're thinking like their suggested posts and you're getting forced stuff like you're saying in your feed that you didn't necessarily want you know a A, the ads and then b it's you know it's the tiktok version which is instagram's trying to copy which is hey you like this cat thing so we're going to give you more cats and you know because you obviously like it because we want you to stay on here and just keep going Mm um yeah i don't we don't love that for a lot of reasons uh because a you lose control of what you want to see and experience Mm -hmm. and instagram has done a really disservice and it's really hurt people financially because they've, they've just killed the organic reach for the most part. Um, because you can't see, you know, you, you can't see the people who you actually follow. It's annoying. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you build up this list of people that are interested in what you do and then five, 5% or 10% might see it. Um, you know, it, it's better to just have an email newsletter list because your open rate is probably going to be 30 to 50 to 70% you know, versus, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> versus the social post where you just, it's yeah. like nobody sees it anymore. So, um, our overall philosophy will be, I th- to, to, if I could simplify it, one, you'll have a main chronological feed. I think eventually there's a, some, what I do like with Twitter is the fact you can make lists, mm-hmm. right. And you can organize people you follow yeah, into lists that you have. So, um, there's a lot of things I don't like about Twitter, but I do like that one feature. And so that's something that eventually we would like to build in. 
to where, because it's easy to follow hundreds of people, but you need to be able to segment them into like your family, your friends. These are like the commercial, these are the portrait photographers that I like. Uh, these are like mm-hmm. the, the landscape photographers, whatever. Um, and so that if you just want to go into a specific topic, you can just see the people that you're following that you've assigned to said list or whatever, but it still will be chronological. We will have to be useful as for picture editors as well. Sorry, and art buyers because ultimately they can then almost like bookmark people, right? You know, you know, and and as a tool for professional photographers, that would be very useful to know that you potentially would be, you know, categorized in some way if you need to. But also from from the user's point of view, I mean, a feature that myself and Tom quite enjoy with Instagram is the ability to save images. Mm. you know save them to boards because that's really useful again when you're looking for inspiration or you're looking to create mood boards you know that's a yeah right yeah yeah. which is like word pinterest yeah pinterest a lot of people are using that for pinterest obviously in like 2012 Mm. and 13 i don't know if people still use Mm. pinterest anymore i guess so every time i go in there i hate it because there's just ads everywhere so again Mm. ads are horrible but um i'm I'm not a fan yeah (laughs) um Yeah, so we, um, yeah, I think from the curator perspective or if you're a photo editor or something like that, I think like something like that would be very beneficial because you could create lists of photographers you potentially want to work with and you want to follow work that they're putting out and, you know, you you may have a job that comes up across your desk and you're like, oh, let me go to that editorial photographer that's really great with celebrities that does this certain style and you can find them Mm -hmm. easily. Um, Things we'll have to work against is like if it's chronological, you really have to work against people like posting constantly and just filling your feed with like 10 straight posts. It's something we're going to have to figure out of how to not let people do that and, Mm. um, or a spam account or something like that, that would just take over. That's the one problem with chronological, but I feel like it's, it's solvable. Um, could you ban people or kind of have a limit on, you know, you can, you're maybe allowed to post once every six hours. Yeah. I've, I've thought about stuff like that. I haven't, I think we'll, test different options you know if mm-hmm. if you you're posting so many times within a certain time frame like pause their ability to post again or mm-hmm. and you know basically put them on a time delay for six hours i don't know we'll, we'll have to figure it out but th- there's a lot of options i think to solve that to where the chronological is still a good experience for people mm-hmm. um and oh so going back to kind of your algorithm question i do think it would be because right now social is all about like the suggested right every time you go into twitter any of these other tiktok instagram it's like it's all the main feed they force you into right away is the suggested feed right like here's the stuff we think you're gonna like Mm -hmm. um i think there that can be an interesting thing to have but for us that's like priority five and it should be in a tab that's like a discovery or search or explore or something like that type of a name sure. that you willingly dip into when you're, when you want to actually discover new people or mm-hmm. find new inspiration, you, you go there for that, but it's not like forced on you it should insta- be your instantly. Choice. It should be your choice to go into mm-hmm. and discover things. And instead of, I think there's a way to make a healthier algorithm instead of just showing you more of what you like, you know, it should be a mix of like you typing in maybe stuff you want to find um, or having a balance of like, you know, you've requested this, you know, here's also potentially some things that are 
opposite of it or adjacent or in this other lane um, so that people are not too siloed into the content and the things that they're seeing, that there's still a, a breadth and width um, of topics. Mm-hmm. So, One thing that we haven't talked about, which is going to be sort of the elephant in the room and is a big deal for me and Greg, is where do you guys come down on video? Uh, yeah, I mean, my, I don't know. My, my plan is to try to, I don't know, yeah, avoid it as much as we can. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I think that's going to be the number one thing that we're going to get pressure on if people sure. like it is can you add video? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not saying probably never, but it be, kind of becomes – I don't know. I, th- I think it w- if we introduce it, it needs to be in a very s- limited, specific context. Um, and so I'm just not sure yet. So sharing images online is difficult. It has so many problems already <laughs> that adding mm-hmm. video it seems it's another like an- level. another level. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see. So eventually we would, you know, I'm the stories thing I think is interesting for stuff that is very temporary. You know, I don't know. We'll see if we do that or not. Um, it we would eventually like to have like a subscriber tab so that if somebody wants to subscribe to somebody's like a paid subscribe subscription option mm-hmm. to somebody's you know feed channel or whatever you want to call it, uh, that they could do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe video in there would make sense in terms of somebody's an educator or they need to go deeper on stuff sometimes video you can just communicate a little deeper in ways sure um so so i'm not sure yeah so we're not necessarily ruling it out but we just want to be very very thoughtful of if when if we allow it where it goes because for us the images are still the priority and we do not videos everywhere already anyway so we don't want to just become another like place that just pushes video so hmm. cool another big area i guess for you is going to be tackling kind of uh, censorship or um mm-hmm. freedom of speech which is obviously coming i mean let's not let's not go down the route of or the road of discussing how elon musk's uh, version of freedom of speech has worked on twitter right. but um, <laughs> obviously that does highlight the issues with the yeah. idea um, I guess with a visual medium, there are different difficulties that you're going to be facing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is where it like not gets fun. This is like the not fun part. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. We're, I guess you're, you're, you're going to write it out and see what, see what's what type thing is a lot of, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of uh, kind of discovering, testing live kind of testing to some degree to see what what works and what doesn't work yeah or is that yeah. right yeah the, the the starting on a phone app you kind of of starting from certain sort of limitations already anyway right so apple google mm. they'll have their content moderation rules that we have to abide by or they can just take us off their platform entirely uh, right. it's not like where if we were doing desktop, you have a little more freedom to create mm-hmm. whatever you want. We're building on top of Apple and Google. So we kind of have to follow their rules. 
And then if we add monetization where there's payments, then now we also have to add a layer of the payment processors often have rules and regulations. You know, they don't want us deal with sexually explicit content or whatever. And a lot of times that's coming from the, the payment processors themselves. They don't want to be, you know, they're protecting themselves probably from sex trafficking and like, you know, things that are very illegal. And so they just, mm. it's easier just to say no, <laughs> like none of it. Um, <laughs> as with anything, like when you're building something, 99% or 99.9% of stuff is fine, but it's what where you have to set up the guardrails just for that point. 1% of users they're going to try to mm-hmm. upload very graphic, very violent, you know, either hatred or bigotry or racist or, you know, sexual sexual content that you may not want <clears throat> um, or that it may get exposed to people that shouldn't see it or don't want to see it. Mm. So um, it's always going to be a fluid thing, right? For us, I think is whatever parameters we put up on day one, it's not something that we, I would see as forever. It's something I think we're always going to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to allow as much as we can allow. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also, you know, we don't want to platform people that are going to say things that are, you know, yeah. going to incite violence and things like that. So there's always, you always have to draw a line sure. somewhere. It's easier to draw the line farther out, you know, of like just no nudity, like Instagram. It just, it's easier just to do that versus drawing the line in farther where it's like, well, we can allow nudity, but then you have to define like what's sexually explicit, what's not. And then that line is much harder hmm. to draw. Uh, where if you're just like, you know, you know, no nudity, then it's just, it makes it easier for them. So that's partially, I think why they do it, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. For us, it's all about just being, for us, it's being transparent. Like, even if we're not getting something correct, what we want to do and what I want to do is just say, this is like why we're doing it. This is our thought process. This is um, like the content rules we have now and why. Um, and we will, you know, we're looking to kind of modify them X, Y, Z over time, you know? So I think part of the problem with people that have the Instagram and things is because they'll just get banned and there's no explanation. There's no transparency Mm -hmm. of like what the process is of, of stuff getting filtered. Um, and then if you do get banned, there's like zero customer service. So you can't get anything reviewed really. Like Danny Lyon just got kicked, like his just got banned. He had to create a new Instagram account, you know? And so it's like, you know, it's, it's very difficult. So, um, there's a scaling problem with content moderation because so much is coming in. Mm-hmm. You can't have a human look at everything and make a judgment because it's, you're literally drowning <laughs> in con like just yeah. picture. It's just too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you it's, know, it's, it's lots of some bad he, stuff. <laughs> is here a argument that AI, for example, could help, you know, every every image that gets uploaded to the platform is analyzed by AI. Anything that is flagged yeah. as having a child in it or nudity or anything that it kind of matches whatever the, the, the filters you have set up on it, that could help maybe a small startup like yourself, you know, overcome those issues. I mean, I don't know if that technology exists 
yet, or I mean, I don't think it'll be long. And I'm, I would yeah. assume that the big platform are going to be big platforms are going to be utilizing that to, you know, try and get moderation under control. Right. Yeah, and I think it, it does exist. I think they're they're doing that to a degree now. I, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how something like um, Instagram does their content moderation. Um, they're my guess is they're doing they're doing a mix of AI that's flagging stuff. But then they they do also have a mix of like uh, content moderation people that look go through mm-hmm. stuff. Sure. But even that is like Radio Lab did a really great um, podcast episode on this, like 2017. But that that is really nasty. Kind of a hidden part of social media right now is the people that have to do the content moderation, like the humans. Um, mm. they're paid very, very low, like $2 an hour or like to very see low. Some of the, to see um, some of the nastiest To stuff. see the worst of the worst yeah. of the worst. They have to make snap judgments yeah. within five seconds because the, the next image is coming. Um, right. wow. And they, they often have very mental health issues. They don't get mm. the type of like, like breaks and things and they just of, get, right. Because And then people get banned. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, it's a pipeline horror. It's everything. Like, um, But... You know, in the U.S. and probably U.K. and the EU, they, they, they experience a very clean, the best version of the social media. But as soon as you get into some other countries, um, the moderation isn't as tight. And so there's stuff like beheadings and things like that that are surfaced publicly constantly. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, you got to I mean, figure out a way to deal with it. So it's hard. Twitter is pretty wild now, you know. Like the amount of videos yeah. coming out of Ukraine that have, you know, containing dead bodies or people being killed, you know, and it's it's stuff that anyone can access. It's kind of pretty crazy, really. Yeah. Yeah, and it shouldn't. Pro- and the problem is, no, this is like, suggested yeah. stuff. It's like pushed into you, like you shouldn't see. So, one yeah. one idea I have for content moderation. Well, there's a couple. One, I, I think it would be interesting if there were labels on like. As of as you're posting stuff as the user, like as the artist, mm. you put your own label on it, and maybe we have some defined labels in terms of like this contains nudity or this contains violence or whatever, kind of like you would with a TV mm. show, right? And then mm. you, the people that are in your feed, or if somebody chooses to follow you, they're they're knowingly following that you you post that type of content, right? Kind of yeah. like you're knowingly watching a rated R movie, like kind of a thing, but you know going mm. in. It says this is R for this, 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 and this. Gore, sex, mm. you know, smoking, whatever. Mm. Um, right now, there's Not there's, no, there's no labels like that. The the, the artists aren't encouraged. Um, the artists aren't encouraged to do that. And then I also think users like how Wikipedia is edited and shaped. I think there's maybe some mm-hmm. things where community. Uh, the community of that photo could be around could help um, moderate some things mm-hmm. um, in exchange for compensation or some sort of other benefit, still working through that. Um, but then also a mix of AI with maybe that wouldn't ban something, but would at least filter it and flag it and push it into trained, properly trained, you know, humans or staff that look at it. Um 
you know, and then, then if it filters down further, you could have your rules of like, if it gets flagged so many times, then it gets paused. I don't know. There's just, I think, ways to organize it better and be thoughtful about it. Where right now, just even Instagram's top five company in the world, it just feels very clunky and impersonal and horrible. So, hmm. so if, if there are photographers listening to the show that kind of are interested to, to get involved, is have you got a beta going out this year have you got a timeline of of when you hope things to be kind of running and is there a process for people feeding back or suggesting ideas you know to you yeah so we're uh working on the private beta right now uh it's not out so we're we're still building it um we're you know software is kind of a tricky beast but you know we're aiming i would say for july august for a private beta launch um you know, we'll see how we're making good progress every week. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we also have to get approved by Apple and Google, and so our timeline is also kind of dependent on at their at their whim and their the mercy of how long that process takes. But yeah, I, I would I don't see at the pace we're going, I don't see how we would not release a private beta version this year for sure. Um, and that is definitely like private, and only people that um, are going to be on. A specific list, uh, which right now we actually have for um, anybody that donates at least five dollars, like a one-time fee. Like basically, buy us a mm-hmm. cup of coffee, then you'll get on the list, uh, and then that just helps kind of fund the development. Uh, we're capping that to around five thousand people, mm-hmm. and that way, when we get the private beta out, we can really—it's more so we can get the, get the feedback. I haven't set up the website or anything yet for that. Uh, or a place to get feedback, but we, we will. So mm-hmm. I have a Squarespace site, so I could set up some sort of membership thing there, or, um, you know, we're on Substack, so I could always create kind of maybe a chat area there or something. But, um, but yeah, we'll set the, it up. Would the founding kind of five mem- 5,000 members, would they have a little gold tick well, you know how people like treasure these things, like the blue right, tick. Yeah. Everyone loves the verified thing. Could everyone? Yeah. Can anyone have like a gold dot in their username or something that people uh, would be like? Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I haven't thought about that. Um, my hunch is no. The, the benefit of this is that you would get your whatever username you wanted. So mm-hmm. if you want at Steve or something, <laughs> you could get sure. that. Yeah. Um, so versus some really long thing with a bunch of numbers after it. Can I have at Tom? Yeah, sure, maybe. Right. <laughs> that already taken by uh, the guy from MySpace. <laughs> hey, look, hey, no. MySpace Tom. He, he sold out MySpace. He sold. He didn't sell out MySpace. He sold MySpace and then travelled the world, taking actually pretty bloody good landscape pictures. Like right. that guy is like an actual real photographer. Yeah. Uh, more, yeah. more power to him. More right. Power to him. Yeah, he got. Won't hear a bad word against him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, yeah. So I think I think our goal kind of the process is a private beta get feedback um making sure just it works and people like it and there's you know get some early feature feedback um and then we're gonna what we would like to do instead of going to investors in like silicon valley and all that stuff is create an equity crowdfunding campaign Mm -hmm. so uh from there people would could basically own a part of photo and owns mm-hmm. own shares in it essentially. 
Um, and so the minimum that's a hundred dollars up, uh, there's a cap. I think you can only do up to 5,000. Um, but we would set like kind of goals of how mm-hmm. much we want to raise in the U S we can raise annually up to 5 million a year. We can't do any more than 5 million. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's, we would rather allow the, like we'd rather see the community invest in it and actually like literally own part of the company. Uh, mm-hmm. so if we do ever sell or anything like that, like you would actually get money, you would get money back cause you would have stock. Um, Versus going straight to like VCs and who's just going to want to push an ad model on us, uh, which we don't want to do. Sure. Um, I mean, I really, really, really do a grassroots. Yeah. Just really do a grassroots thing and we can do 5 million every year. So if we could keep our operating costs under that and eventually monetize it the way we want to, then we may never need to actually raise pure like VC money. Um, But that, that's kind of our goal. So. I mean, I'm glad you bring up operating costs because I would imagine running a busy social media website and app is just, you know, from a storage point of view, it just, especially if you're talking about longevity, that is storage that's never going to go down. That's always going to be storage that grows and grows and grows. Mm -hmm. I assume you guys will just keep funding, funding it from raising the up to 5 million a year and aim for it that way do you think you might ever be pressured into an ad model just because of the operating costs um yeah i don't know we'll see i mean i think i I hope not i you know i think we will have to um pivot off of different technologies as we go right so part of the Mm -hmm. reason we're capping the private beta at five thousand users is because it keeps our costs down uh based on how we're building the tech Mm -hmm. stack right now and allows us to kind of operate at a very low actually like monthly bill essentially um right the problem is is if we like re- once we release it to the public and we can just unleash it and you know kind of the good you know the good thing is if a million people download it over a weekend like great for us bad because we have all of a sudden <laughs> the costs are now <laughs> like all, it's just off the chain and so th- that's where we need the uh equity crowdfunding to come in to help cover sure. that so we have some runway but we, we really have to come up with a way to monetize that we can avoid ads if possible. So, and I, I think some of that is just even for maybe if you're not a professional, but you're just, just the everyday user, them having a, a monthly fee or something for uh, storage, essentially. Like if they're wanting to archive their family history, their family photos, like you weigh with, you know, with iCloud, with Apple or Google photos, like you end up having a little monthly fee. You know, it's five dollars a month or something, but you get two hundred gigabytes or whatever, and help helping kind of offset that. So we're going to have to build multiple streams of revenue to to survive. Right. So excellent. Well, I mean, that's uh, I mean, that's it. Sounds exciting. If people want to kind of find out more and get involved in your and kind of signing up to your um your your beta, where where can they go to do that? Yeah, the, the website's just uh, photoapp.co, so F-O-T-O-A-P-P dot C-O. Uh, if you go mm-hmm. to photoapp.co slash beta, that's where you can donate, sign up. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, then we'll, we'll email people out out from there. Uh, we have a Substack. If you do a paid subscription on the Substack, you would also be on the list because we'll have those uh, the, the names of those people that are on our paid list there. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's been really wild to see how many people, like, we do not even have an app yet, and we've had 
I mean, the amount of people we've had donate has been um, just encouraging because it just, to mm-hmm. me, it verifies that they people, there's at least a small segment of people that want something new. Um, and what we have released, they've liked the look of and like the direction of. And so that's, that definitely keeps us going and encouraging, uh, encouraging us to like push forward and innovate as much as yeah. we can. Yeah. I mean, it definitely shows that there's an appetite for this and I'm, I'm, you know, me and Tom are both people who can attest to that. Cause I, I do think that there is a real gap in the market for something for photographers, um, to actually take back a little bit more control about how your work is, um, you know, viewed and considered and rather than having to kind of play into the constraints of social media apps, which are predominantly for, you know, content creation rather than actually people who love photography. Um, So before we get to the end of the show, we always like to ask our our listeners, sorry, our guests, um, about their Desert Island camera and their Desert Island photo book. Um, I'm not sure if we we sprung this upon you before or not. I can't remember. Yeah, I told you we were going to do this. I'm (laughs) prepared. So obviously, you know, uh, let's start with your Desert Island camera. Okay, so I don't I don't know if this is going to be boring for everybody. I, I was really weighing between two, right? So I had an X-Pan at one point, and I really loved the X-Pan. Um, mm-hmm. But I think my favorite camera of all time is just going with the classic Hasselblad, like 500C, just film, waist-level viewfinder. Just give me like mm-hmm. a 120 back, 80-millimeter lens. That's all I need. That's not... Good. That's not boring. That's not boring. I mean, I do have a Hasselblad up there, sat on and the I, shelf, um, and mine, mine's just here. I, you know, yeah. we are big fans. Okay, sorry, my has Xpan Hasselblad Xpan because they're both Hasselblads. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, of course, my, yeah, mine's the mine five hundred is is there with mm-hmm. the waist level viewfinder, and yeah, I fully yeah. back that. It's and do favorite. you have a yeah. uh, do you have a photo book that you would take on the island? Yeah, so I actually have I actually got it pulled off my shelf. So big um, Emmett Gowett, Gowan fan, Emmett Gowan. Mm-hmm. So this is a Aperture uh, published book, Ooh. but it's just kind of a retrospective of his career, and there's a lot of um, a lot of text and like es- it, essays and things. It, so I love it when we have a book that we've not heard of before from a photographer we've not heard of before. It's, yeah, I'm, that's just, I'm it's not great f- to kind of give them some publicity. Uh, I'm not familiar. Yeah, that that looks like okay. a great book as well. Nice and yes. thick as well. Yeah, it's very thick. Yeah, yeah. So Emmett Gowan, um, a lot of people have know kind of Sally Mann, I would say, right? So yes. Emmett yeah, Gowan's yeah. like, you know, like Sally, Sally Mann is like inspired. You know, kind of comes after Emmett. So Emmett Emmett uh-huh. photographed his family in Virginia. They came from very humble means. They were out on a farm. And so there's a lot of, so he photographed his wife a lot. So there's a lot of very like intimate, personal, you know, he, t- he takes family photography, his own intimate family, but it, he elevates it to this whole other level. Where it becomes this very universal um, type imagery. It's a bit, is it, have you um, ever seen the book by Larry Towle? Is it Family Album? Um, that's a great. Larry Tao, who's a, a Magnum photographer, he okay. and also did a lot of um, projects on the on the various um, Mennonite communities, I believe, mm. in, in North America and Canada. I think he based he's based in Canada or he's from Canada, 
but yeah his his book is kind of very focused on his own family and and i think sometimes you know those pictures can be the most powerful ones because you're you know you're intimately connected to your subject in a way that it really drives you to want to create moments and to go back to kind of tie it all back in i guess to what you're trying to do with the app it's when you're photograph i've personally found this when you're photographing your family uh, especially when you've got young children there's a real sense that what you're doing is capturing this moment in time that really is going to be gone because children grow up so quickly mm-hmm. and there's some sense in that of the power of photography it almost like reminds you what photography is all about the fact that photography mm-hmm. really is a time machine it's yeah. this little magic box that captures these slivers of time for prosperity right and i think that's very easy to forget in this kind of day of age where everything's kind of shot on a phone is very you know here today gone tomorrow but also mm-hmm. you know you can do all sorts of fun and games with ai there's something quite pure about kind of that specific type of personal work yeah yeah and we want to yeah we would love to push push that as much as we can in terms of that concept of like how how through photos can we remind people of like what's important they're just about the human okay. experience um yeah and do that through yeah reminders um you asked about video earlier i'm actually more interested in audio i think audio and the still image is extremely powerful um Mm -hmm. where i think if you had a picture of like your daughter and she's five and you had some audio uh, audio of her like talking about something where you asked her questions and it played while it had the image of her over it and just Mm -hmm. those were kind of linked together um are very very powerful very powerful you know yeah um or you're interviewing somebody and you have a still of them or a portrait or a story or Mm -hmm. i don't know i just there's ways I think we can really play with the medium and push it and see what we can come out of it. And just where people can make very thoughtful things. Um, the one thing I did want to mention about the photo app before we go, the other thing I would do want to do is kind of touching on this with the family thing is we do want to encourage like prints. This okay. is me coming from my print, uh, owning a print lab. Mm-hmm. Um, I think printing your work and having physical copies of images is crucial um and so even if it's just the family photographer or somebody wanting to go on to like find art to buy for their house i would like for them to be able to place those orders and be able to get prints directly within our app and not have to leave and go to somewhere else um Mm -hmm. and make something that is um just a very smooth buying experience and it's very built built specifically for like wall art or prints you just that are smaller you can hold in your hand or eventually like pre-build, you know, a family album for somebody and like, you know, they can just hit buy and it's done, but at least, you know, they get a book of their, their kids' life the last, this last year, stuff like that. So a great idea. Well, listen, there's, there's a lot to be said for them, what you're planning to do and what you're hoping to do. And I hope that, well, I know that some of our listeners will certainly be kind of um, looking to support you with it. Um, Thanks. So, all's left to say is thank you so much for coming on today and, and giving up your time to to talk to us about your exciting prospects absolutely thank um, you yeah really appreciate it no I'm, yeah, I'm honored to be here really appreciate you guys reaching out um maybe we can chat again sometime as we get this thing launched and get some more progress and feedback so appreciate you absolutely well no we'd love that because I, I need to speak to you about getting that at tom address yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay 
Cool. Sounds good. Thanks, Michael. Yep. Cheers. Thank you very much for listening to the latest episode of the Exposed Negative podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that by heading to our Patreon or doing one-offs. The details are on the website and the Patreon is patreon.com forward slash Exposed Negative. We'd love it if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at Exposed Negative. And obviously, we're on Instagram, which is xnegative. If you want to follow us personally, mine is tombarnes.com on Instagram as as and the website <laughs> and then greg's is at greg fennell and that's f-u-n-n-e-l-l so uh yeah thank you very much for taking the time to listen and uh, hopefully you enjoy the next one